as I guess you, uh, oh, I don't, you don't have to start video, but. So let me ask you a question. How do you find peace and joy in the midst of bad circumstances, in the midst of a bad day? Well, one way I do is that I research on the internet the kind of bad days that others are having. Not so I can pray for them, so I can laugh at them. I know it's kind of sadistic, right? So I've got some examples of some things that cheer me up when I'm having a bad day. Did you guys show one of those? Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, you stop on that one. Th this, this is what happens when you don't seal the paint well and you hit a big bump. This is when you put a down pillow in the dryer. And this is a real bad day, man. Not just one empty. They're both empty. What are you going to do? And, and this lady does not yet know that she's having a bad day, but she'll find out soon. Oh, come on. Oh, and this one. <laughs> oh, how about this? Guys can slow down a little bit, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's a bad day. Oh, we're going to stop on this one here. Take a look. Figure it out. Figure out what happened. Oh, guys, you can stop. You can stop. Yeah, you can stop. Well, anyways, are you not in a better mood than you were two minutes ago? <laughs> no matter what was going on in your life when you came in here, you're, you're smiling now, right? You're going, I'm glad I'm not them. Especially that toothpaste. Oh, my gosh. The only thing worse than that would be preparation H. <laughs> My mouth is so shrunk up, I can't even eat a jelly bean. <laughs> well, we're on day two of three days that change everything. Now, the day after Christ was crucified, the day that he lay in the grave, that was certainly a bad day in the eyes of his disciples, right? Now, that has been known as Holy Saturday for centuries. And as of late, it's become known as Silent Saturday, the day that God seemed to be silent. Speaking of, now, I, I did not know until recently, I did, a, I did a Bible study. I did not know until recently that the Bible actually teaches that men are going to be raptured and are going to uh, make it to heaven 30 minutes before women. Did you know that? It's right there. Revelation 8.1, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for half an hour. How else do you explain that? Okay, okay, let's go on. I'm in trouble now. Yeah, we have a bad habit of glossing over Saturday of Holy Week like, like, it's, like it's unimportant. But is there something that we can learn? Is there something that can change our lives in the day that Jesus' body lay in the grave? And the answer is yes. Uh, let's look at what happened on that Saturday. And, and first, let's look at what happened leading up to Saturday. So after Christ is crucified and his body is taken down from the cross watch.
forgive us. We are following the body of our Lord. All are welcome. But come, the Sabbath is approaching. Imagine what it was like for those that loved, believed in, and followed Jesus when that stone was, was rolled over the entrance to that tomb. Not only filled that, that tomb with darkness, it filled their whole world with darkness. So on Saturday, Jesus is dead and buried. Normally, the body of a person that dies by crucifixion is not given a dignified burial. In fact, his body just thrown into an open grave on the tops of the bodies of other executed criminals and just left there to rot and to be eaten by scavengers. But instead of that, a secret disciple of Christ's and a, a wealthy man named Joseph of Arimathea very likely offered a substantial bribe to the Roman governor Pontius Pilate and was granted permission to take and to bury Jesus' body in his own tomb. John 19 talks about that. When Joseph came and took away his body, Nicodemus, who had, come, who had first come to him at night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about 100 Roman pounds. So then after Jesus was taken down from the cross, his body was washed, and then it was wrapped, according to custom. It was wrapped in, in about 100 pounds of cloth and a mixture of spices and, and a sticky resin that encased his body in something like a, a burial cocoon. And it looks something like this. The only inaccuracy there is that his head would not have been wrapped uh, instead, it would be loosely covered by a four-by-four four square of linen cloth called a, a sudarion. Now, once the body had been fully prepared, Jesus would have been taken and he was laid in a solid rock tomb, uh, basically a man-made cave that had been carved into the side of a hill. And if you guys go ahead and put that stone up, yeah, thank you. To seal it, a large stone weighing between one and a half to two tons, uh, that was rolled from its resting place and dropped into a trench that was dug right there at the front of the entrance. Uh, now, a stone could have easily been rolled down into the trench by one or two men, but it would have taken at least 10 men to roll it back up, uphill, basically, out of that trench. Now, to further ensure that Jesus' body would be undisturbed, there were more precautions that were taken. Matthew 27 talks about that. It says, on Saturday, the chief priests and Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he'd been raised from the dead. And this last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Now, if you guys would put that next one up, that next slide up. <clears throat> yeah, thank you. So at their request, Pilate gives the Jewish leaders a guard of Roman soldiers to the tomb. And the first thing that they would have done is they would have secured that stone by placing uh, rope around it and, and putting the Roman seal on that. And to break the Roman seal was a crime punishable by crucifixion. 
Now, years ago, there was a movie that came out with Jeremy Irons called Risen. Do you, any of y'all remember that? Did any of y'all see that? Not, not a lot. Well, I, you know, I'd recommend that you rent that movie. It was actually a very good movie about Rome's attempt to squash Christianity uh, just shortly after the, the resurrection of Christ. Now, although it was a good movie, the depiction of the Roman soldiers guarding the tomb was horrible. It was not accurate in the least. In the movie, the, the, the tomb is guarded basically by two wimps. Two guys who are wasted on whatever fermented beverage was on sale at the local Walgreens at the time. But in reality, the Roman guard consisted of between four and 16 soldiers. And according to historians, a Roman guard could defend a city gate against 100 enemy soldiers. So you get the picture. These guys were not wimps. These guys were the elite. They were a team of Chuck Norrises. These were the Navy SEALs of the Roman military. In other words, these were Aggies, not Lobos. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm getting more and more in trouble here. I can... But some of you are happy. It was forbidden for a Roman soldier on guard to drink alcoholic beverage. Also, it was, uh, for a Roman soldier to fail at his duty because of cowardice or negligence, and included if he fell asleep on duty, that would mean the death penalty. And, and listen to this. He would be put to death by being burned alive using his own clothing and armor as kindling to light the fire, to make an example out of him. And if that was not bad enough, if a single member of the guard fell asleep while on duty, not only was he subject to death, so was the whole rest of the guard. Which means that every member of the guard came to work with a case of Red Bull and a cattle prod. Now, I'm not going to sleep, and neither are you, man. <laughs> so to summarize, on Saturday, the disciples and, and really the whole world knew that G, the Jesus movement was done. It was over. Christ's body lay lifeless in that solid rock, well-guarded tomb. It would take a miracle for his body to re be removed from that tomb. Well, number two, on Saturday, Jesus' disciples are scattered and defeated. Now, just as Jesus predicted in Mark 14, 27, says, all of you will desert me, he told his disciples, for God has declared through the prophets, I will kill the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And understand, Christ's disciples, <laughs> they were not soldiers. They were not revolutionaries. These were not men of great courage that were scheming and conspiring about how to steal the body of Jesus and keep the Jesus movement alive after his death. Uh, these were a bunch of cowardly fishermen and tax collectors. They were hiding behind closed doors. They were afraid for their lives. Can you imagine how they felt? I imagine they felt fear and great disappointment. They felt betrayed, depressed, angry, 
hopeless, defeated. Saturday was no doubt the longest, most miserable day of their lives. Now, the disciples didn't handle that first silent Saturday very well, but in the end, they were changed by it. They were changed for the better. See, we have something that the disciples didn't have on that first silent Saturday. We have hindsight. See, unlike them, we have the opportunity to see Saturday from the point of view of Sunday. We have post-resurrection eyes, which helps us to know and trust that God is very much in control and at work when we experience our own silent Saturdays. So let me ask you, what silent Saturdays have you faced? And maybe you're facing one now. Could be sickness. Grief from the loss of something or someone precious to you. Problems in your home. Problems with your marriage. Kids that aren't walking with Christ. Could be struggles with sinful thoughts, attitudes, and actions that that you can't seem to get victory over. Maybe you're carrying hurt or anger or unforgiveness toward another person and you just haven't been able to let it go. It's stealing away your joy. Maybe you're stuck, feel stuck in depression, worry, or fear. It might feel like your prayers are met with silence. You may feel distant from God. Well, hang on. Something better's coming. Sunday's coming. Now, I've had my own silent Saturdays, and and, and many times I didn't do even as well as the disciples did. But seeing how it all turned out for them gives me hope for what God is doing and can do in my life. So here's what we learned from the first silent Saturday. Letter B, when you face silent Saturdays, hang on to hope. That's, That's the whole message. That's the whole message. Hang on to hope. Isaiah 40, 31 says this. Read it out loud with me. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Those that hope in the Lord will renew what? Their strength. You know, hope, I believe, is really the first step toward experiencing victory. Uh, Proverbs 13, 12 says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Without hope, things look hopeless. That's not meant to be funny. Satan knows that if he can steal your hope, he can steal your strength, your energy, your enthusiasm, your joy, peace, your sense of purpose, your vision. He can throw up a roadblock to you experiencing the abundant life that God desires for you. All again, if he can steal your hope. So what is hope? And we've talked about this a thousand times before. We're going to talk about it a thousand times more until Jesus comes back. Now, we think of hope as nothing more than just wishful thinking. We say things all the time, I hope this, I hope that, that really have no chance of coming, coming to pass. It'll take more than a miracle. 
We say things like, I hope the wind doesn't blow in Las Cruces this spring. That ain't going to happen. I hope the road construction on Valley ends soon. How many of you all hope for that? We better pray and fast. I hope that someday they will make some stylish Birkenstocks. Ain't going to happen. Now, if you remember, even if you don't, listen, hope is believing with absolute certainty that good is coming to you, that good is coming for us because we know that our God is good all the time and he has good plans for us. I'm going to say that again. Hope is believing with absolute certainty that good is coming your way. Because you know that God is good all the time. And his plans for you are what? His plans for you are good. My two favorite scriptures about hope are Jeremiah 29, 11 and Romans 8, 28. Let's look at Jeremiah 29, 11. Prophet, Prophet Jeremiah here is actually ministering to the Jewish people during a very, very difficult time in their history. And it's also a time in which they're not walking with the Lord. They're in disobedience. They're in rebellion against God. And in the midst of this, God gives them this promise through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, 11. Let's read it out loud together. I know what I am planning for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you to prosper, not to hurt you. I will give you hope and a good future. You know, that not only has hope, that has grace and love written all over it, doesn't it? Despite their rebellion, God still desires to bless them. And he still has good plans for them. That's grace. Despite their unfaithfulness, God promises to still be faithful to them. And he promises the same for you and for me. Romans 8, 28. Follow along with me as I read. And we know that God causes all things that happen to us, right? Everything that happens to us is God's, God's fault. <clears throat> that's what some think. Some think that's what God's sovereignty means, is that everything that happens to us is God's will. That's not what that says, and that's not true. You know, Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because not everything that happens on this earth is his will. And so we pray for his will to be accomplished here. What happens in heaven, happen here. Now, this also doesn't say that everything that happens to us is good. Some things that happen to us are not good. They stink. But what this says, what this precious promise says, precious promise says is this. Let's read it all the way through. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So what's this saying is that no matter what happens to us, whether it's good or whether it's bad, whether it stinks, you know what? God's at work and he's going to use it to bring about good in our lives and the lives of those that we love. And hope is trusting that these promises are true 
at all times, in all circumstances. Hope is knowing that there's no such thing as a silent Saturday. Not really. God is always at work for our good and for his glory for us and through us. And so when we look back at Saturday from the point of view of Sunday, we know that something more was happening on Saturday than could be seen with human eyes. That first silent Saturday gives us hope because we know through it, number one, that God is still at work even when we cannot see it. You know, I get a, a lot of questions as a preacher. and You know, one of my favorite questions I get is this. <clears throat> so, uh, what do you do all week since you only work on Sunday? <laughs> I love that. There were three boys who were bragging to each other about their dads. First boy says, my dad's a dentist. He works on someone's teeth for an hour and gets a thousand bucks. Second boy says, that's nothing. My dad's a doctor. He does surgery on somebody for an hour and he gets $10,000. Third boy says, that's nothing. My dad's a pastor. He preaches for an hour and it takes eight people to collect all the money that he gets. <laughs> and that is why I only have to work one day a week. I hope you know that's not true. <laughs> Preachers and all church staff are at work even when you can't see it. Although Jesus' body was in the tomb on Saturday, that doesn't mean he was taking the day off. He was at work. Boy, was he at work. What was he doing on Saturday? The Apostles' Creed is, is a summary of belief that most Christian churches hold to. And in it, it says this. It says, Christ was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. And on the third day, he rose again. Which largely comes from Ephesians 4, which says this. Now, what, what can this, he ascended mean, but that he had previously descended from the heights of heaven into the depths, the lower parts of the earth, which can also be referred to as the place of the dead, which also can be referred to as Hades, which also can be referred to as hell. So what did he do there? Here are some verses that give us a hint. 1 Peter 3.19 says that after Christ died, he went, went and preached to the spirits in prison. That is, Christ preached the gospel. He preached the fulfillment of God's promise for those who were looking for his coming before the cross. He came to announce that their forgiveness of sin had been won. And they were free from the power of death. And Hebrews 2.14 says Jesus took on flesh and blood. He did this so that by dying, he would destroy the one who had the power over death, that is the devil. So who had the power of death? Who had the power of death? What does it say? The devil. Well, now look at what Revelation 1.18 says. Jesus speaking, I am the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And because, because of my death and resurrection, because I defeated death and the devil, he says, I hold the keys to death and hell. So no, on Saturday, Jesus was not taking a nap. He was not taking the day off. He was not silent. 
I agree with those who say on Saturday, he was storming the gates of hell. And he was taken back, taking back the keys of death and hell that have been temporarily given to Satan. As one contemporary theologian said, on Saturday, Jesus invades hell, declaring the victory of the cross to the righteous dead, smashing the chains, blasting open the prison doors, and leading them into paradise. And as Satan and his angels object and screech, you can't do that. They belong to us. They've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They deserve punishment and death. Jesus holds up his nail-pierced hands and says, to tell us thy. I paid the price for their sin. They belong to me now. Take a hike, devil. Hasta la vista, baby. And, oh, see you at the apocalypse. On that day that Jesus, that the disciples thought Jesus was dead, and God was silent, he was at work accomplishing incredible things for them and for others of eternal significance. Remember that. When God appears to be silent, when he appears to be distant, he's not. Never limit the work of God to what you can see with your eyes and what you can experience in your circumstances. He's always doing more, much more. Temporal and eternal blessings are being won for us and others that are too great for us to comprehend. Hang on to that truth when you experience a silent Saturday. Now, we also know through that first silent Saturday, number two, that some things that appear to be our greatest defeats, they lead to our greatest victories. God's greatest victories often come at the heels of what appear to be our greatest defeats. You know, the cross, the tomb, look like the complete and utter failure and defeat for Christ and his disciples. How wrong that perception turned out to be on Sunday. John 16, Jesus tells his disciples, I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but... Your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. So you have sorrow now, but I'll see you again, and then you will rejoice. Read the last part out loud with me. And no one can rob you of that joy. Underline that. Jesus made a promise to his disciples here. He said they would weep, they would mourn, they would grieve over his death, but he said it wouldn't last on Sunday, their grief would be replaced with joy, and it would be a joy that could never again be stolen from them, not even if they faced another silent Saturday. One day, we're going to look back at our Saturdays, and we're going to weep tears of gratitude and tears of joy because we will see how God was good and faithful to us all along. You know, looking back at my own life, for nearly every silent Saturday I've experienced, I can see a Resurrection Sunday. And, and for those that I can't, one day I will. 
and so will you. I want to close with, with one of my favorite stories. Tony Campolo tells the story of growing up in a black Baptist church, although he himself was an ivory white Italian. See, and as an adult, he was asked to come back to his home church by his former pastor to, uh, to preach alongside him. And Campolo got up and delivered a stirring sermon that brought a lot of amens and hallelujahs. And so he thought he'd done a great job. He went over to sit down next to his, uh, to his pastor, feeling good about himself. He says, top that. Pastor Grand stood to his feet, began to walk toward the, the pulpit and said, just you watch, sonny. Just you watch. And as Campolo tells it, I'm going to try to tell it too. You know, for an hour, over an hour, this pastor preached one line over and over and over again that had his people on their feet with emotion and joy. And that one line that he kept saying over and over was, it's Friday, but it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. He said, the king of heaven breathes his last breath. Jesus is hanging dead on the cross. Heaven is weeping. Hell is partying. But it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. Christ's lifeless body is laid in the borrowed tomb. Mary's crying her eyes out. The disciples are running scared like sheep without a shepherd. But it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. As Campolo recounts, as this pastor uh, goes on, the congregation begins to get it. The deacons start saying, preach, preach. Little old ladies begin waving their hankies. And they all take their cue. And every time he says, but it's only Friday, they shout back in unison an answer to that. But Sunday's coming. Let's try it. But it's only Friday. Sunday. It's only Friday. Sunday. Pilate thinks he's washed his hands of a lot of trouble. The Pharisees are strutting around laughing, poking each other in the ribs. They think they're back in charge. But it's only Friday. Satan and his demons are running around hell, giving each other high fives. The Son of God is dead, they cry. But it's only Friday. And the preacher begins to change his focus a little bit. And he says, sometimes things look bad. Sometimes things look really bad for you and for me. You promised. The last time that you drank, the last time you smoked, the last time you exploded in anger, you promised that was going to be the last time. You broke your promise. And now you're filled with guilt and shame. But it's only Friday. The experts say there's no hope. There's no hope for your health. No hope for your marriage. No hope for your finances. No hope for your wayward child. But it's only Friday. Whatever you may face in this life, whatever challenges you face to your welfare, to your faith, when the enemy tempts you to doubt God's wisdom, the enemy tempts you to doubt God's love, you tell him to take a hike. You tell him it's only Friday. Resurrection is coming. Victory is coming. In fact, victory is already ours because we live on this side of the cross and we live on this side of the resurrection. And you know what? That works just as well on Silent Saturdays. Never give up hope. 
God is good all the time. And he has good plans for you, which means that good is coming. And remember, it's only Saturday. Amen. Let's pray. Would you just take some time? And uh, I don't know what may, you may be going through, or maybe somebody that you know is going through a tough time, a, a, a silent Saturday. And just take some time, first of all, to just... Let the Holy Spirit well hope up within you to know that God's at work. He is at work. And good is coming. Victory is already yours. And for those that are going through a tough time, just pray that they have that realization in their own heart. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We give you praise for that Saturday and the lessons that we learn. And we will not give up hope. We trust that you are good. We trust that your plans are good and that you're always at work for our good. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we choose to stand in hope Thank you for loving us.